All right, how are you guys feeling tonight? Everybody's good? Thank you. Halima gave me the greatest compliment in, uh, on the way here. She got confused when she saw me because she thought I was a what? Hey, that's right. That's right, folks. 30 years old, still looking good. That's what the Holy Spirit does, amen? <laughs> I want you guys to turn to your neighbor, and I just want you to say, you ready for this? Before I start my message, I just want to make it really clear that I'm a nice person, (laughs) that I care for you, that I believe God has a destiny and a purpose for you, that I believe that we receive the love of God, not because of what we can accomplish, but simply because of his grace. I just want to put that out there because I'm going to preach a message that's going to come down a little bit hard, but it's going to be life-giving. Here's the thing. The problem is the devil is continuously wanting us to be in bondage under deception. This is how you and I are imprisoned in this day and age is by believing in lies. You guys know the Yonse, what's the Yonse theme here or verse or what do you call it? The truth will set you free. If you lean on those words, that means that lies will keep you in bondage. So tonight I'm going to come a little bit hard, but I'm not coming hard on you personally. I'm going to come hard on some of the lies that we've been housing in our hearts, some of the lies that we've been entertaining and telling ourselves that are actually true. You guys with me? So like I said, I'm kind, I'm nice. If you guys want to talk to me after, I promise I'm not scary. Staff, amen? I wasn't that convincing. Staff, amen? Amen, amen. Tonight, I want to talk about lust. Let's just get with it. Let's just talk about it. Can we talk about it? Let's just talk about it. I want you guys to open up your Bibles to James chapter 4. I'm going to start off with the word of God. It's about to get heavy, guys. Here you go. James chapter 4. And we're going to be looking at verses 1 to 10. Now, I'm going to be reading from the ESV, but you guys can read from whatever version of the Bible you have. I'll read one verse. You guys can read the next. Here we go. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Be wretched and mourn and weep. 
Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Amen. The word of the Lord for you is that you were created for love and not lust. See, God is not account. He's not the, the devil isn't the one that created pleasure. Can we just get that out there? He didn't create anything. All he does is copy. God is the originator. He is the creator. And all of the pleasures that you and I can ever experience in our lives to the fullest degree can only come from God. The problem is we're under this heavy, heavy, heavy deception that the pleasures are in the world. And then when we come to God, it's just straight up boring. We think when we're in the world, it's freedom. But when we're in church, it's oppression. Man, when I go to church, they tell me I can't do this. They tell me I can't wear this. They, can't, they tell me I can't speak this. And we think we're in bondage. We think we're in chains. And then we look at the world and we look at what people are acting all crazy. And we think, man, that's freedom right there. That's pleasure. I want to live life just like that. Listen, deception, 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 deception. We're going to talk about the weight of lust and why lust is such a strategic uh, strategy of the enemy to just bring destruction in our lives. Did you know that the enemy wants to destroy you? Did you know that? I told, listen, I'm nice. I'm nice. But don't get it twisted. When we live our lives for the sake of comfort, we are blindsided because we are at war while we're on earth. The devil is trying to come and destroy, steal, kill in our lives. And when we don't understand the way that he attacks and works, man, we're just victims and subject to, to whatever he throws at us. We're so much more victorious than that, guys. You guys have so much more power than you know. You are made for love, not lust. And I'm not talking about just a, a lovey-dovey. Like, listen, even the word love has been so tainted by, by media, by dramas, by, you know, books, by songs by bad grammar and stationery, you know, in Korea. Oh, love is water. You, I love, you know, like whatever. We, we look at that word love and it just got completely just, it's mixture has entered that, that word that is meant and designed to be so pure and so powerful and carry so much authority. But when you and I think love, when I say love, we're all thinking different things. Some of y'all imagining Korean drama songs playing in the background and the rain pouring down. Chagya. Kajma. Because there's always got to be that like dramatic turnaround. And that's not love. That's just foolishness. That lasts like two weeks, let me tell you. Two weeks later, he's out the door and she found somebody else. Mm-hmm. Listen, in God's love, there is fullness of pleasure. In God's love, there is fullness of satisfaction. Anything else that we settle for is just counterfeit. I don't like bootleg. Actually, you know what? I should correct myself because I used to owe me some bootleg stuff. <laughs> I'm from New York, okay? So we have a place called Chinatown. 
If you make your way to Chinatown, you can get yourself a Fendi, a Parada, a Gucci. It might, might not be spelled right, but you know. It's good enough. It looks the same, but it's so different. It's cheap. It falls apart. And I had a, okay, now we're going to talk for real now, but I had a bootleg Fendi bag. I remember I bought it when I was a senior in high school, and I thought I was like, you know, when I wear that around, I'm like, hey, what's up, girl? Carrying it around. It, 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 like three weeks, the handle broke. <laughs> and I was like, mm. <laughs> tucking it in, trying to make it into a clutch or, you know, trying to get all creative. No, no, no. It was done. It was done. Anything that is a counterfeit version is designed to fall apart. See, what's authentic is sustained. It lasts When I was in college, I had a girlfriend who bought me a real Fendi bag. That's a nice girlfriend, huh? I have had that bag for a long time, and it is in mint condition. Why? Because it's real. It's made out of real leather, made out of high quality, whatever fabric it's made out of. I don't even know. I'm not in, into all that. But it's real, so it lasts. My bootleg version, it fell apart after two weeks. Love that God has for you and I is eternal and it's set to bring eternal satisfaction. The counterfeit is set to bring temporary satisfaction. And believe me when I say it will fall apart. It will fall apart. So let's talk about lust. Let's go back to the scripture in James chapter four. I'm going to reread some of these verses. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions, that word passions can be defined as lust, that your lusts are at war within you. You lust, that word desire also means lust. You lust and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly. The KJV says you ask amiss. To spend it on your own passions. Now let me talk about God and God answering prayers when it comes to our relationship with him. When I was in fifth grade, I had the biggest crush on a guy named Matthew Porky. I don't think he'll ever listen to this podcast, but <laughs> if you are, hey, I thought you were cute, you know? Fifth grade, when we had birthday parties, is how we celebrated when we were like, you know, how old are you in fifth grade? Like 10? We had, you know, I don't know what you guys did when you were 10, but when I was 10, we went to the ice skating rink. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you skate. I didn't really skate like that. I was more like falling. But Matthew Pork, you had an ice skating birthday party. And I went, and the whole time I was checking him out. And I remember going back home that night and getting on my knees because I knew the Lord Jesus. And I said, God, if you love me, you will make Matthew Pork you my boyfriend. <laughs> I wish I matured. But listen, I prayed that same prayer when I was like in 10th grade, 11th grade. Now with Matthew Porky, with different guys. You think God answered that prayer? It sounds like a ridiculous example, but this, as ridiculous as my prayer is, is some of your prayers. Because the reason why you ask God for the things you want is not because of communion or fellowship with him. It's to satisfy your own lusts. And guess what? When you pray to God to satisfy your lusts, God is saying you're praying amiss. You're praying wrongly. 
Let me give you an example. Some of y'all want to get married, right? Okay. For those of you that, okay, yeah. My staff is like, amen, hallelujah. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Marriage is not a ba- marriage is a gift from God. But did you know that you can pray for marriage in a lustful way? What does that mean? How is that possible? How can you pray for marriage in a lustful way? When you begin to supersede your desire for something else greater than your desire for God, now you're stepping into the arena of lust. You can pray for something good in your life, provision, breakthrough, healing, all of these things God wants to do. But when that becomes your number one priority and you withhold your worship and your praise to God until you get those things, you're operating in lust. And God is saying, I'm not going to answer those prayers. Scripture says that lust causes corruption. Our sinful desires causes corruption, or in other words, causes decay. God's not going to give you something good with your lustful desires in order for you to just bring decay to it. He loves you more than that. Some of you are wondering, why are you withholding? Why are you withholding? I'm wondering, is God your number one priority? What's your intention? What's your motive of asking for the things that you're asking for? Talk about lust. When we think about lust, we think about just sexual immorality. We think about pornography. We think about looking at things we shouldn't look at. The word lust is so much more broader and so much more bigger than that. So I'm going to give you a whole other definition for lust. I want you guys to write this down if you are writing notes. If you're not, you should be because this is a good message. Lust, the way that my spiritual father defines it. He's a mentor of mine, Pastor Benjamin. He preached a message called Life Without Lust, which a lot of this content is from. And he said this, lust is a desire for anything outside the will of God and therefore disconnected from God's good pleasure. I'll say that again. Lust is a desire for anything outside the will of God and therefore disconnected from God's good pleasure. God sent his son, Jesus, to die on the cross for our sins so that we may have a relationship with him, so that we may find pleasure in our relationship. When we turn to other things of the world, we forsake our relationship with God and we try to seek pleasure from a source other than him. When we move in that arena, when we turn, it's called lust. Now we have pleasure, but we have pleasure in isolation. Listen, I'll give you a real easy way to tell what's lust and what's not. If God was in the room watching you, would you be comfortable with doing what you're doing? Guess what? He is all the time. I know I thought about that one day and I was like, that's just weird. You know, I'm like, God, anyway, no, um, I had a dream. This is, I talked about this dream a lot at, at Yonsa in particular, but I'm going to give you just a, a portion of the dream. When I was dating my husband, by the way, my background is lust was like the definition of my life. So I'm not coming hard at you like, you know, you evil sinners. No, I'm talking about someone that's saved by grace, just like all of y'all. Like I struggled with lust hardcore. 
And not just sexual lust, but all kinds of lust, which I'll go into later. Uh, but one of the areas that I struggled in lust was sexual impurity. I mean, I was really promiscuous. I thought that, you know, in, in my day, Sex in the City was like a really popular show. And I thought that I was into, I was a feminist, you know, when I was in college, I took feminist courses and I was like, you know, power to the women and freedom, sexual revolution. And, you know, I should freely express my sexual, I don't know what this is, but you know, whatever. And that was my mindset. So it wasn't like, I was like ashamed. No, I was like loud and proud, you know, like a Samantha Jones. If you guys know the show, if you don't, don't watch it. All right. So. So when I got into a relationship with my husband, who's now a pastor, listen, my husband was a righteous man. Okay. No, no, no. Let me, let me. he had issues. Okay. <laughs> he had issues, but not in that department. All right. In this department, man, he, he was really, he was truly a man of God. You know, men of God, can I just say something? That's what a true man looks like. You know, sometimes we think that a real man is a man that can sleep with as many women as he wants, a man that can get all these girls, a man that has all these ladies falling with. That's not a man. That's a little boy without any self-control. A man is someone that has self-control and knows how to save himself for his future wife. Can I get an amen? Amen. amen. Ladies, be, men are like, oh. All right. All right. We'll talk. Well, don't worry. So, but my husband in this, in this area was very victorious. I mean, it was really admirable. When we got married, he was a virgin. I, on the other hand, had a lot of sexual partners. And so there came a point in our relationship where we had to like talk about it. I mean, he, uh, as a leader in the church led something called healing and deliverance where I was with him as long and with other leaders of the church, I kind of confessed everything that I have, that I've ever done. And that was ever done to me. It was a really intense, like three, four hour session. Uh, but even after that, in this area, it's not like I went into that much detail, but when we were dating him, I remember I had a dream and a portion of that dream was I was hooking up with this guy. Now don't imagine, but think about this for a second. I was hooking up with this guy and I look over and I see my husband sitting there watching. Can you imagine? <laughs> and in my dream, I knew I had no control over the situation. It wasn't like, Oh, get off me. Like, Hey, what's going on? Nothing's going on. No, like I had no control. I just, it was continuing and he was watching and I was just so filled with shame. The thought that I was thinking is don't look at me. Just don't look at me. When we deal with the issues of, of lust in our hearts, we deal with seeking pleasure in isolation. It's apart from God. My husband was just a, a, a stand-in for how I felt about God. God, don't look at this part of my life. Jesus, don't, no, 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 don't look at this part. You can look at all these other issues, you know, they're not that bad. But this area, don't look at this area because with this, I'm really embarrassed. I'm really ashamed. I don't want you to see it. Why? Because these are things that I experienced. It was pleasurable outside of the will of God. That's lust. That's lust. There's three kinds of lust that I want to talk about tonight. And then we're going to talk about what we need to do because we need Jesus. The first kind of lust. Man, this is what happens when I have all these crazy notes. 
All right, here we go. The first kind of lust is experiential lust. Everybody say experiential. Okay, lusting, uh, experiential lust is when we desire an experience outside of the will of God. For example, it would be having sex before marriage. By the way, God was the creator of sex, guys. He's the one that designed it. He designed it to be pleasurable. It's us. It's, it, it, it's us that have took it out of the context of the will of God and made something that was designed to be so beautiful and so intimate into something that brings so much destruction. So an example would just be sexual sins. That's, a, that's an experiential lust. I want to experience this. I remember when Y2K was going on, when we were about to hit new, the millennium, 2000, I had all my friends that were still virgins, and they were like, I don't want to die a virgin. Okay, that didn't, you guys didn't find that as funny as I did. I was like, you guys are idiots. But people have that, like, mentality. Like, th- they value the experience. I want to have that experience. It doesn't make any sense to me to get married, wait till I'm married to experience this. I want it now. I want it in this season. I'm young. Everybody else is doing it. I want it. I want that experience, experiential lust. You know, we can have a spiritual experiential lust as well. For all of you people that are sitting here thinking y'all holy because you ain't sleeping around. Well, let me talk to you for a second. When we begin to desire even spiritual experiences, like, man, I want to, I want to cry like that during worship, or I want to fall on the ground. Some of you guys are like, I don't want to fall, but some of y'all really want to fall when someone lays hands, or I want to, I want to get the spirit of, of joy, or I want to be able to see healing. When we begin to desire certain experiences, spiritual experiences more than connecting in our love for God, we're in lust. How can you tell when you withhold your worship? Man, when you with God, I can't worship you. It's not fair. How come she gets it and I don't? What's all that? That homie falls every single time we come. He's so greedy. When is it my turn? When is it my turn to feel something? I don't feel anything when I come to large group. And we withhold our worship and our praise. And we question God's goodness in our lives. That is lust. Let me tell you something. The reason why God is good is not because he answers your prayers today. It's because he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on your, for your sins on the cross so that we can have a relationship with him. That truth, that fact does not change whether your prayers get answered or not. Therefore, God's goodness is unchanging. But we're constantly, the devil's constantly assaulting that. God isn't good. He doesn't love you. Look at your life right now. Your life is a mess. Your family's a mess. Your studies are a mess. God doesn't love you. Man, when you hear those words, you got to be like, devil, shut up. You're a liar. God is good and he loves me. He already proved it. Spiritual experiences should not be desired as proof of God's love. It can only be supplement. Listen, it is an act of God's love. Do not get me wrong. These are good things that we should want. But when it's in the wrong order, with the wrong motive, God proved that you love me. Then we step outside of God's purposes for those things. Second type of lust is emotional lust. 
I'll give you an example of emotional lust. It's when you have an excessive, everybody say excessive, desire for affirmation, approval, acceptance, recognition from others. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Man, you just crave that recognition. You clean that trash and you want everybody. Hey, that trash looks pretty good, right? Clean, right? I did that. I did that. May not be as extreme as that, but some of you guys dress the way you do for approval. Some of you guys act a certain way, not because that's who you are, but because you want approval. You're craving affirmation. You're craving the satisfaction that Sam Choi approves me. We put people on this pedestal and we desire for them to fill this void in our heart. We want, we want, we want you to know, I want you to notice me. I want you to recognize who I am. Don't you know who I am? I want you to say that I'm valuable. I want you to to show me that I'm worthy. When we begin to desire excessively these things from other people, we are operating on an emotional lust. You know why it's emotional lust? The reason why this is separate from the will of God is because he's the one that defines your worth and your value. When you say that I need acceptance from man, what you're saying is, God, your acceptance doesn't mean enough for me. It's not enough. When you say that you love me unconditionally, it doesn't satisfy me enough. Sorry, God, I need their approval too. Separate, pleasure, isolated from God's love for us. Again, affirmation is good. When people recognize when you worked hard, that's great. When people are able to affirm you, man, you guys are doing an awesome job with media and tech. That's awesome. David, you did a powerful job leading worship. When you receive affirmation, these are good things. They're not evil. But when their words, when the words of man supersedes the words of God, you're in the area of lust. Therefore, when you don't receive affirmation, when someone doesn't recognize you, when someone doesn't pay attention or isn't kind, it should not ruin how you see yourself. It shouldn't touch your identity. If it does, then the core belief that God's affirmation for you is enough does not reign true in your life. Spiritually, we can do this too. God, don't you love me? If you loved me, blah, 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 blah. If you loved me, you would do this. Or if you love, we, we even seek that, that desire for God to prove his love for us, to fill that emotional void in our hearts. No, we can't start with the question. We have to start with the truth. God, you do love me. And then when we ask for more of God's love, it's not in, in, in a place of need or in a place of, of lack. It's in a place of faith and in a place of, of course you love me, God. You've already shown me time and time again that your love is true. And even if I don't feel it, even if the world around me is falling apart, I can stand on the truth that you love me and you love me everlasting. The third type of lust is material lust. Money, possessions, cars, clothing, bags, computers, nice headphones, jackets, sneakers, 
necklaces, rings. I mean, the list goes on. Listen, when I was in high school, I started stealing. A lot of you guys know this story. The first thing I stole was a meal. I went to New York City with my girlfriend. We ate a meal. We thought we were cool. We were like 16 years old in the city. We had no idea where we're going, what we're doing. Biggest idiots in New York. And we're still sitting there thinking we were so amazing. We finish a meal. And as soon as we finish it, we see the check and we're like, let's just go. We looked at each other and we're like, Next thing you know, boom, we just booked it. It was the first thing I ever stole. Actually, no, the first thing I ever stole was when I was like four. I stole bubble gum, but I got caught. And I got the ill spanking in the parking lot by my mom. But that didn't teach me a lesson because obviously by the time I was 16, I started stealing again. But that spurred on like major stealing. It was, it was material lust. I lusted after material things because I was in a place of my life where I was surrounded by people who had everything. My parking lot in school was BMWs, Mercedes. No, for real. Audis. Like I lived in a very rich, affluent Jewish neighborhood. Jewish people got money. All right. No, for, they got money. Now, all the minorities, which were a few of us, the Asians, we drove the Accords, the Civics, you know. Me, I rode the bus. <laughs> I asked my dad once for a car. I was like, Appa. Ichana. <laughs> I'm like, can I get a car? And he was like, oh, of course. And I was like, oh, really? He's like, if you really want a car, go get it yourself. <laughs> Save up your money and buy yourself a car if you really want it. And I, and I realized I didn't really want it. <laughs> I was like, I'd rather go to the movies. Forget that. I'm going to catch a ride. Hey, David, can you pick me up? I was one of those friends. Anyway, everybody had so much around me. And, and I, I found myself being very um, self-conscious and, and wanting to um, feel the value or the worth that a, a nice bag could bring or, you know, um, I don't know, brand name, you know, sneakers or whatever it was at that time. And so the only way that I was able to do that, because my parents were not well off. My dad's business was struggling a lot at that time. And both of them were working really hard. And I just, I couldn't ask my parents for money. And I I had jobs, but even the jobs, they weren't enough to like satiate the desire. You know, they couldn't buy me a Prada bag. That was like six months of my, you know, Banana Republic part-time work pay. And so... What I did was I just started to steal because that was easy. I mean, it's for free. So, and I got good. And I'm a little Asian girl, so nobody's looking at me, you know? They're too busy looking at the dude, you know? And, and so I stole a lot, but it was, what was driving me was this desire to feel satisfied in, in, in pleasure in the materials. I would literally go home. I would dump shopping bags full of stuff. Yo, I stole a lot. And I would spread it out. This is how sick I was. I would spread it out and I would just like look at it and I would just find deep pleasure. Like, I just got all this for free. Like I would find satisfaction in that. I would go to the extent where I would take all of the little price tags and I would sit there and calculate all my calculator. Cause we didn't have smartphones back in the day, like my calculator. And I would calculate the exact numeric figure of how much I stole and I would revel in it. Because in a sick and twisted way, I thought, man, this brings me pleasure. 
this brings me pleasure. This brings me satisfaction. Wearing the clothes that I see other people wearing, uh, dressing the way that I want to dress that I couldn't afford on my own brought me satisfaction. But everybody say temporary. You know how many times I had to steal? If it really brought me satisfaction, I would have just stole once and it would have been the end, right? No, I stole again and again and again and again because that thirst just got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and nothing satisfied. I'd revel for like, what, 15 minutes until I saw something else I wanted and didn't have and felt less of a person because I didn't have it. Material lust. Let's be real, guys. We live in Korea right now. This is a stronghold in this nation. Some of you guys didn't even struggle with your looks until you came to this country. And all of a sudden you're like, what? I didn't think about that. Looking at all the ads on the subway with people who like, like literally two different people, you know, with their faces next to each other. And apparently it's the before and after. And we look how skinny all the girls are. We look at all the skinny all the guys are. I don't know what guys are thinking. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know what's going on in the guys. Side, but, uh, but, you know, we look at the, we look at the um, attention to clothes and attention to appearance and attention to, to goods and materialistic things. And we have to be careful, guys, to not allow those small desires to be planted in our hearts and become trees in us where we begin to long after those things more than we long after God. Man, I got to go shopping. What prayer meeting? Now forget that. I got to go shop. What? No, I got to check this store out. Prayer? No. Reading scripture? No. When we begin to divert our attention from, from the one that actually truly satisfies us and we go for these temporary things, we are operating in lust. What is that? Pleasure apart from God. We can have material lust even for, in a spiritual way. I'm a pastor, so you know, when I go to churches, I check out churches. I'm like, oh man, that's a really nice stage. That's such a weird thing to say, huh? You guys probably don't even think we think that, but I'm like, man, those chairs are those good chairs. The padding, you know, the little table flap. <laughs> look at this office, or look at what they're doing, or... It's easy to fall into this trap, and it's easy to even spiritualize it. Sometimes it's in your face, and sometimes it's really subtle. But when we're not careful, when we turn to the pleasures of the world, our hearts get numb, and we become desensitized to the real pleasure of God. You guys ever walk in the subway, and when you come out of the subway, you just smell the bang? You know, like the bread or the roadie boy or whatever it is. Like, they specifically... Do it like that so that as you come out of the subway, it's like, bam. You're like, oh, all of us. You weren't even thinking about it, but you're like, must need bread. Must buy waffle with lots of cream. You know, you just like go into this mode. This smell, this scent, it just triggers something. But when you are like ridiculously full and you overate on some stuff and you smell, you literally want to throw up. You're like, oh, nasty. A scent that's supposed to just bring out hunger all of a sudden brings disgust. When we begin to fill ourselves with the pleasures of the world, even the fragrance of God turns us away because we're so full on other things. Some of you guys are wondering, man, how come I don't feel God? Or how come I don't, how come I don't, you know, sense his presence, whatever that means. 
How come I don't cry or want to raise my hand when, when worship happens? Why don't I just, how, how come I don't feel that? How come I don't experience that? Well, I wonder, has there been some things in your life that have been desensitizing your heart? Have there been some things in your life that you've been entertaining, that you've been watering, that you've been growing, where you've been seeking pleasure outside of God's will? Because if there's lust in your life, there's desensitivity because lust breeds death. Man, we got to get, we got to get like hardcore on this because this is just one of the biggest weapons the devil's throwing at our generation. And I say our generation because I'm part of your generation. <laughs> Lust, it cuts off. It decays. Sexual lust literally brings destruction. You know, if you guys think that your problems with lust is going to be solved when you get married, it's not. Lust is completely different. If you struggle with lust now and you get married, you're still going to struggle with lust. And it's going to become a bigger problem. And it's going to bring destruction in your marriage. Lust doesn't get resolved by finding someone to have sex with. Finally, I'm allowed to have sex. No, it doesn't work like that. Lust and sex with the pleasure of God are two completely different things. Lust is an issue we got to attack now. But when we don't do that, it allows, it brings decay. Listen, if my husband were to ever cheat on me, he wouldn't. Someone in the back is like, no, no, he won't. He won't. <laughs> he better not. But let's just say that he entertained the thought, you know, of cheating on me. What would that do to our relationship? That would just destroy our relationship. It would destroy the trust. It would destroy. Even if he didn't tell me, even if it was a secret, even if I didn't know about the adulterous affair, trust me when I say there is going to be a wedge between our marriage and that there's going to be distance that we won't be able to deal with. Well, I don't understand why we feel so far apart. There's so many testimonies of people who had these extramarital affairs that didn't tell their spouses. But even though their spouses didn't know, there was this separation. There was this decay in their marriage. There was this lack of trust that was there. It brings destruction. It disconnects. It cuts us off from people, it, decay, it brings decay, and it disconnects us from the creative, true creative purpose. This is what I mean. The true creative purpose of sex is to experience pleasure, and pleasure with your spouse. And it's designed to be holy and amazing. But when we experience sex in a place of lust, now we're taking it out of its true purpose, and we're turning the purpose around for something else. Now it's for my pleasure not for the enjoyment of a married couple. Or think about money. When we begin to lust after money, money's true purpose, original design, begins to get, it, it not, it's not operating in its true purpose. Money is not bad, guys. Money is not evil. Turn to your neighbor and say, money's not evil. Money is also not the source of happiness. But money itself is not evil, okay? And its true purpose in our lives is to be a form of provision. Money is supposed to be serving us, not us serving money. 
But when we begin to worship money, when we begin to long after money, desire money, lust after money, and all that we think money is going to do for us, now we take even money out of its true purpose and design. Love, on the other hand, it brings connection. When there's love, there's reconciliation. You see that just simply on the picture of the cross. Jesus' love brought reconciliation. And true love, when love is manifested in your life, it always brings reconciliation. It always brings us back to connection. And rather than decay, love causes us to flourish. I saw on BuzzFeed, I mean, I really don't know how accurate BuzzFeed can be. But I did see this BuzzFeed thing that was going around with this um, science experiment of some sort with uh, the thing of rice. And it was two containers. You guys know what I'm talking about? Some of you guys might have seen it, but there's two containers of rice. And one container, the, the person just spoke hateful words every day. Like, I hate you. I hate you, rice. Die, rice. I hate you. I hate you. Like, literally, like, really mean things to the I don't know how. Well, anyway, really mean things to the rice. Like, what mean thing can you say to rice? The other one was, like, just affection. Like, oh, I love you, rice. You are precious and white and... <laughs> sticky and chew, you know, I, I don't know, d- d- affirmation, hate. And the, t- the time was exactly the same. There's this time span and the rice that got negative words, it, it was all moldy and decayed. And the rice that was like affectionately, I don't know, catered to was like perfectly fine. Isn't that weird? You guys look it up. Again, someone can figure out the real source and see if that's true or if someone made that up. But the idea stands the same. I think that it's true. Lust in itself really does bring decay and love does cause us to flourish. God wants you to experience pleasure. Sometimes we think that Christians aren't supposed to experience pleasure. Actually, there are some Christians that refuse to experience any sort of pleasure. They won't go to movies. They won't, you know, go to they won't dance or they will they exclude themselves from certain pleasures because they think that pleasure itself is evil. Man, I just want to shake them. What are you thinking? God created all of these incredible things for us to enjoy so that we can have pleasure in him, with him. We're created. This is why you guys crave pleasure. You long for it. You desire after it. But where are you turning to get it? We're getting ready to go to a retreat. And if you guys haven't signed up, I really want to say you should sign up. You don't want to miss out. This retreat's going to be out of control. It's going to be so good. It will change your life. If it doesn't, I'll pay you. I'll give you your money back for real. I mean, David will give you your money back. All right. (laughs) No, but this retreat's going to be amazing. But something that you have to do before you, it's something that we're called to do is learn how to prepare ourselves. We got to learn how to prepare, you know, the the whole book of Esther, the beginning portion, before she even came to see the king, she went through this season of preparation where she was uh, um, uh, bathed in all of these essential oils and myrrh and fragrances. And she was, you know, delicately washed her hair and, you know, I don't know what kind of beautifying spa treatment she got, but it was incredible and epic. And, And before she saw the king, she prepared herself. And in that way, you and I were called to prepare our hearts. And the reason why I'm preaching this message tonight is because I want us to get rid of the lust in our lives. We can't afford to have lust in our lives anymore. You guys believe that? So how do we deal with this? 
Pastor Aaron, I know I'm not supposed to have lust. I mean, that's just a given. But this is something that I try and I fall over and over and over and over again. How am I supposed to be victorious in this? The number one thing that you need to realize is you cannot do this on your own. Everybody say, I can't do it on my own. We hear these messages and we think, okay, must change behavior, you know, must change the way that I will not click on this website anymore. You know, we think that we can change our, our own will. You can't change nothing guys. The only way that you and I can overcome lust in every area of our life is simply to rely on the grace of God. Scripture says in Matthew 11, come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let me break this passage down here. The yoke was designed for oxen. Okay, I don't know if you guys know what yokes are, but it's this wooden little piece um, that two oxen would have. And it was used to steer them whenever you were farming. It's an agricultural thing. And so if you have this yoke and then you have these little attachments, and if you turn this way, then the oxen know to go this way, etc. Now, here's a picture of yoke. Now, the thing about yoke that you need to understand is these yokes were specifically uh, designed per oxen. So if I made a yoke for, you know, the cow David over here or cow Sam, okay, let's say I yoke them, right? I can't put their yoke on Judy and Masande because the yoke was literally created for their body, okay? It was specifically designed for them. So here God is talking about Jesus saying, come and take my yoke upon you. Yokes were never meant for one. You don't see one oxen with a yoke. A yoke was always designed for a pair. And what God is inviting you and I to is to be yoked with him. Take my yoke upon you. What Jesus is saying, listen, I know you suck at this. I know you've been struggling. I know you've been failing day and day, but listen what I'm offering you right now. Take my yoke upon you. Let's do this together. When you rely on me, when you trust in me, when you believe in the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, you will see change. You will see breakthrough and you will overcome. This is not a moral message. Oh, let me be more moral and not have sex outside of marriage and not steal things like Pastor Aaron did. No, what I'm trying to tell you is we got to rely on Jesus Christ here. We got to rely on the gospel message. If we're going to be victorious in our lust, we got to come and co-labor with Christ and allow the power of the blood of Jesus to bring victory, eternal victory in our lives. Not temporary victory, eternal victory. And when we step into this, now we don't have to be dealing with these small things. Now, instead of going on the defense, we can get offensive. And we can actually start living our destiny and our purpose. So many of you guys are not even, you haven't even tapped into who you're created to be because you're constantly on the defense. Oh, not supposed to do that. Oh, not supposed to do that. Oh, shouldn't do that. Oh, did it. Oops, oops. Like you're constantly on, and you haven't even stepped into your calling yet. That's like elementary stuff. Let's get, let's go over that. Let's move far from that. Let's graduate from the struggles of our lust and let's move forward to actually setting other people free. Let's step into the destiny of actually releasing healing to other people. Man, God has so many incredible things for you and I. He wants to satisfy your needs. When you operate from a place of thanksgiving, you will not fall into lust. Because what lust says is, God, you didn't give me enough. 
So I got to go somewhere else to get it. I can't trust God to satisfy my needs. Therefore, I can't surrender to him. Some of you guys actually think that. I can't trust God with my marriage because he's probably going to make me marry some, you know, weird dude that wants to live in, I was going to say a country, but you might be from that country. So I don't want to offend you, you know, some, some weird guy that wants me to move to Greenland with him. You know, like we constantly think that God wants to punish us. Like he like literally set our lives to like put us through all these terrible circumstances to prove our love to him. No guys, God is a good father. If our earthly father wouldn't give us a, what's the verse? (laughs) The snake or the scorpion. Okay. You know what? Let's move past that. (laughs) I'm like trying up like here. (laughs) God is a better father than your father is what I'm trying to say. And even if you had a fantastic father, God is still much better than your father. He wants good things for you. He wants to satisfy you. He wants you to walk in pleasure. He wants you to experience good things. He wants you to be excited about life. He wants you to feel the joy that only he can bring. But when we don't believe God to give those things to us, we step outside of that and we settle for the counterfeit. Let's stop settling for the counterfeit. Amen. So I'm going to give you guys just a couple of steps. How do we overcome? First thing is we got to repent. This is how you now walk into the power of the cross. You can't, you can't activate the gospel power without repentance. You know what I mean? It's like, it's impossible. You can't think, oh, the power of what Jesus has done. I can get that by doing anything else. No, it always comes through repentance. When we repent and we say, God, man, I've allowed this in my life, but you have paid the price for this. And therefore I can now overcome and rise up. Now we're operating in the power of the gospel. We got to repent. And the second thing to repent is we have to believe. You can't just repent and say, sorry. It's not about sorry. It's about literally changing your mind. You have to figure out the lie that you've been believing. Some of the lies are that success will make you happy. That when you do well in your studies, you will be satisfied. That if you have and obtain a really good career, then you will find a good husband and have three children and a dog. Maybe a cat. When we begin to put all of these different things around us and, and, and idolize them and worship them and desire after them and lust after them. Man, we have to figure out, God, what am I believing that's not true? Oh, yeah, you're the one that has set my marriage. Oh, yeah, you're the one that has taught me how to gain treasures that won't just last on this earth, but that will be for eternity. You're the one that gives me full satisfaction in the places where I feel alone, where I feel disconnected. We got to repent And then we got to believe. And the third step is this. We got to give thanks. Everybody say give thanks. We are so good at complaining. We are so, some of you guys are like expert complainers. Like you guys get real creative with some of the vocabulary that you use and how you fragment your sentences. And we just get really good at complaining. And we enjoy complaining because it feels good to complain. 
I read a quote somewhere that says, complaining is to the devil what worship is to God. Complaining is to the devil what worship is to God. We have to remove that place of complaint because the moment we complain is the moment we step into, oh, I'm missing something. I'm lacking something. Oh, I'm, 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 you know, I don't have this in my life and I don't have that in my life. And that, that, that mindset, which is based on deception, would literally spiral down for us to turn to other things to seek satisfaction. But when we give thanks, man, there's power in giving thanks. How many of you guys set a portion of your day to give thanks? That's what I'm talking about, Jessica. She's like, mm, you should be like me. You got to set a portion of your day. Every morning, every morning I get up, give thanks. And even when I don't feel like it and I don't have a lot to say, because <laughs> uh, there's some days that I'm like, oh, I don't know. No, the moment you start doing it, the moment all of a sudden all these things start come flooding in. Like, oh, my gosh, I didn't even think about that. And, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. And wow, God, I forgot that you did that. And Lord, look at where I am. And God, look how you transformed my life. And oh, you saved me from the pits of hell. And it just starts going crazy. And you literally start your day in a place of victory, not out of lack, but in a place of overflowing. God, you've given me everything I already need. If you don't do it, start your day. Don't wait to the end of the day because by the end of the day, you got mad complaints. Start at the beginning of the day and start with Thanksgiving. And then you got to remind yourself of those things throughout the day. When people start doing crazy things, you know, like shove you and, you know, grab your arm to buy a cell phone or, you know, that was a personal example that made me angry. Um, or, you know, a friend, you know, do something to hurt you or whatever it is. When you stay in that place of Thanksgiving, man, it's, it's combative. It's offensive against lust. Thanksgiving is offensive towards lust. I'm just going to leave you with this. Psalm 23 is a famous passage. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want, but I want to just switch the words around. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in lust. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is the one that will provide. The Lord is the one that will take care of not only your needs, but bring you to a place of lasting pleasure with him. And it's not a pleasure we have to wait till we die to experience. We can experience it today. I want you guys to just bow your heads.